that this is a really cross-cultural experience. And for the first time I saw, okay, this gospel that I believe and I know can um, bring people out of darkness into light and bind them together as one in Christ, it's real. That stuff is not yeah. theoretical. That This is a real thing. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Good, good Nick. Thanks. J.D., you're being instituted as rector on Saturday. What level of pomp and circumstance do you have planned? <laughs> Well, um, it's actually fairly, fairly grand, this, uh, this liturgy, as we have found out to our uh, surprise, because well, I was going to kind of just show up um, <laughs> and get it over with. And uh, there's a lot of people involved, a lot of moving parts, but, um, you know, it's not just for me, it's for sort of a symbolic marking of a, you know, of a fairly large change, particularly in this church, they haven't had done this for 30 years. So it's, um you know, which has got, um, so it's a lot of, lot of people excited, a lot of people energized, but we, um, are also, um, bracing for a hurricane here. Um, so that's that we got to get through that. Um, of course it's a little, people are a little jaded by it because it does, um, you know, seem to happen yearly. So we're, um, I guess I'm going to go get some rice and beans and some water if I can find any, but, um, but yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Uh, the Bishop is coming. Uh, Ted Duvall from Christchurch is going to preach. And then there's a number of the uh, search committee and vestry involved and, in, you know, the various um, presenting of the, the, the marks of ministry as it were. And so, um, and then the, we have a meat smoking team called the hog heaven, uh, which is <laughs> going to provide jambalaya in, um, in honor of my, my, um, deeply pronounced Louisiana roots. Um, yeah. as, I, uh, so yeah, it'll be, um, it'll be a great day. So prayers appreciated. Sure. Matt, do you even remember your institution as rector <laughs> of good shepherd? <laughs> Vaguely, it's so long ago. I'm so old. Do you have the certificate? Like, Are we even sure that you actually I, ever were tech? I remember like riding in the wagon on the way there. <laughs> right. es escaping from the cholera plague that was. <laughs> I was just picturing Matt and a cholera on one of those. Um, what was that old uh, Oregon Trail uh, game? <laughs> like the evil guy of cholera. Has been bitten by a snake. That's right. Eat a plate of beans. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, no good transition out of that. But I'm just wrapping up this annual class that I teach on the biblical worldview, a class in which we discuss identity, sexuality, and justice. Regular listeners will remember a series of episodes last year in which we discussed those topics to help me get ready to write those classes. Anyway, I'm wrapping up with a Q&A this upcoming Sunday, and one of the questions I got dovetails nicely with an issue currently blowing up on Matt's Twitter feed. There is a conference at Baylor University in February called Time to Wake Up, Racism in the White Church. Uh, Van Newkirk II, Jamar Tisby, and Beth Moore are featured speakers. Matt, you said on Twitter that by even referring to, quote, the white church, the conference is itself engaging in racism. Now, you've got 56 comments plus threads and climbing every time I check. Now, our ACNA bishops have spoken clearly about modifying the word Christian 
with adjectives like gay that refer to disordered desires, they ask us not to do that. But what about non-moral categories like black and white? So why don't you, Matt, explain your problem with the title of this conference, and then we can discuss whether or not it can ever be helpful to describe ourselves as Christians or as the church by our characteristics in this way. It's related to my, the, the issue I have with white evangelical or white this or white that, because, because, or black the the whole question comes down to why why do we have to insert the 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 note the note about skin color what 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 does that what does that give us when we, when we do that and what does that uh, what does that threaten to obscure so so what is the white church I mean I would are we talking about the the European Roman Catholic right. churches are we talking about, talking about the Finnish Lutherans we, yeah that's, Finnish that's Lutherans. immediately <laughs> comes right to mind anyway right what is it I mean and and I, I because you can have you can you could call a group of uh, Pentecostals in California uh, the White Church, or you could call a, a group of Episcopalians in, in New England the White Church, and and there and there's I'm sorry, there's no similarity between those two groups. Except or what about color. Italians in Rome? You know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. The, the the category white is so broad, um, and it's and, and it threatens to. Well, it doesn't just threaten to. I think it. I think it, it steps over the line to into slander when you use such a broad category, and and then presume to talk about a particular sin within the people of that category. <laughs> You're just sweeping in millions of people of all different backgrounds and persuasions, and and then talking about their racism. Of course, now we know that's not what they're doing. We know that that's not what they're going to do. They're not going to talk about uh, Italian Roman Catholics. They're not going to talk about Irish Roman Catholics or um, uh, English Ang English Anglicans. They're going to talk about American evangelicals, and and they and they have a particular brand of theology there that they're targeting, and uh, the same the same people who target you know white or not white nationalism, uh, Christian nationalism, and what they would consider to be civic religion in, in conservative Christian circles. That's the same group of people, same same nexus of ideas. Uh, same same ideological outlook is going to be underlying this conference, and uh, and and so the, the 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 attack is going to be on a certain brand of theology um, that they've labeled white, and they're going to use that label to then cast all of these theological all the theological frameworks that they are opposing into uh into kind of a racist category That's well i'm not even sure was. i'm not even sure it's going to be pro predominantly theological in a, t in a technical sense i mean i think they're going to be sociological uh markers of quote-unquote whiteness that they're going to as ascribe to this church the quote-unquote white church and i think it's going to be really a sociological screed against various forms that they see of sort of oppression you know and victimhood uh, that are sort of, they would argue, perpetuated by the quote unquote white church, you know, and of course there's going to be right in Texas that some of the churches that have um, we've talked about before that have gone, you know, a little bit uh, over the board, overboard and towards sort of their explicit political politicization of um, uh, their, you know, whether they're for Donald Trump um, or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, they're going to point to these as sort of emblematic and, uh, and sort of, well, of the entire quote unquote movement of the white church. And so I, I think, you know, if theologically we could talk, but I would be surprised if it's not more of a, as most of these discussions turn into a thinly veiled sociological critique of, uh, of a political position than it is an actual theological discussion of 
of quote unquote racism or um or the or the quote unquote white church well i i, I agree with it it's certainly gonna be there's gonna be some sociological, uh, sociological stuff thrown in there well maybe the majority of it but but one of the way that one of the ways the conversation goes is that you take you take an idea that the left despises like say uh penal substitution or inerrancy that's you know, that's that's a big one um or the idea of complementarianism or right Right, and th- those, the, and and then what you do is you relabel those as white, or, or and then you turn that into sociological. Um, exactly. Yeah. No. Exactly. I, yeah, yeah. We've seen this this play, as they say, a uh, hundred times because it becomes um, it becomes part of the oppressive Western patriarchal narrative of um, you know that has to be overthrown in the service of freedom. I mean, that's what that's what these these um, all these buzzwords because these. because, you know, before the before the Western colonizers got in there, the um, the African the, the, the religion naturally would have developed into the worship of Krista and the elevation of, you know, Femina to the <laughs> to the top yeah. spot. That's right. It's just that we colonized them and we, we made them more um, and we, made, we gave them white theology. So anyway, it's 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 it's, it's the discussion of whiteness and blackness just the whole idea of skin color being uh, being a category by which you divide right. churches up it is i think it's a thinly disguised ploy to really kind of sneak into some sneak in some ideology but even if it weren't even if it was even if, even if, if that's not what was going on i think it's a horrible way to distinguish to differentiate churches by 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 skin color because it buys into the notion that's that skin color is an essential aspect of our of our identity that's right um which which is especially anti-christian anti-biblical i mean it's 100 percent. i mean and then we've talked about this before that the concept of race is a modern invention as a atheistic con um as a result of uh well really darwinism i mean if you remember the subtitle of origin of the species which was scrubbed after a couple of printings but was on why some races are more favored than others. I mean, this is the subtitle of Origin of the Species, and it shows the height of scientific inquiry in the mid-19th century to be obsessed with the various scientific uh, categories of race, and which is, you know, in the Bible, as we've talked about before, knows nothing of this type of division along genetic lines. It knows of ethnicities and tribes and tongues, which, of course, uh, vary across the world and have for all time, and will be present in 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 the uh, wedding feast of the lamb, you know, gathering all tongues and tribes and nations together uh, in one voice. And yet uh, we have somehow allowed this this anti-Christian, anti-gospel um, um, understanding of human division into the church. And and it's doing exactly what it, it, it was intended to do by, by the enemy, which is to divide and to uh, further alienate and and tear apart in a way that the uh, that the gospel was was intended to to unify. You know, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. I mean, there is something to the reality of that having been broken down um, in the early church amongst incredibly diverse numbers of people who would have come from all sorts of different socioeconomic and quote unquote racial backgrounds to worship together as one. And then, of course, we're talking thousands of years ago down through the ages. I mean, it's like we're all related to I mean, you know, in terms of our genetic makeup, we have um, we're much more interrelated than than, you know, you would think just because we have various colors of skin. I mean, in terms of our 23andMe, 
you know, that shows so quickly. I haven't taken it yet, but I mean, it's unsurprising that anyone who does realizes that there are a, a mix of thousands of years of, of, you know, migration across the world from people. And just because you happen to have a presenting skin color doesn't, um, doesn't speak to who you are as a person. Um, I mean, that's, that's the Christian, that's the Christian confession to a unbelieving world. And the fact that we have, we have churches perpetuating this is really, um, it's really, I mean, disturbing is not the word. It's, 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 it's almost reprehensible is what we have happening here. And it's, it's, you were right to call it for what it is, Matt. It's interesting the the way that this, the language is, is being used because it's, it's very much, and I know that people get very upset when we, we point this out, but, but this is the, the way that Marxists um, use class and, and, and speak about the people is is has is an analogy here so when a marxist talks about the people and and fighting for the people and getting the people on top what they really mean is the, the people that category is really filled by those who have been awakened those who have been whose conscience has been raised and who now uh would like to fight for the proletarian revolution right they're, they're the people the worker who is actually part of the proletariat but who loves the czar and wants to keep the keep the Orthodox church going, not the people, even, even if you have the majority of the, of the proletariat who have that idea, they're not the people. It's that the people are those who have these right ideas. And, and if you have the wrong idea, you're, you're not, you're the enemy. Okay. The same kind of, same kind of thing is happening with our language about, without, with, about color. This is where the, that term whiteness comes in, right? Cause whiteness um, is, is a, a, a series of, of, ideas that most white people have embraced that are that have a an oppressive content to it um and so even a black person can be white under these categories because he because if, if a black person embraces or at least part of the white church white church right yeah so so Vody bacham right he's he's clearly part of the white church so we were talking about them separating by skin color, but it's really not. It's, it's, it's a, it's a go, this, this game goes all the way back to the way Marx played with class or now playing with color or with, skin, or, or with, other, with other categories. And the true, you know, the true justice, uh, the, the true church, the true church of justice um, are those who agree with their particular theological bent. And if you're black, that's great. If you're white, that's great. But really, it, it has to do with with the with the theological bent. You can be a black white person or a white black person. So, are there any? Can I don't? I hate to put you on the spot, but are there any adjectival breakdowns that you can think of that might be helpful in some way? I mean, I I can think of some like surveys like what does like the american church for instance that's a very geographic america has clear borders if a church is on the other side of that border it's not part of the american church but i can't think of any distinctions like this that i can think of a helpful reason for i mean we were someone was asking that on the thread and and they said well what about okay why don't we take color out of it and just say you know african-american i said okay but that um that's still covers a huge swath of, of, of people under, under one simple label. And to what um, end? That's, that's what, the, yeah, the real yeah. question is to what end? Because I wonder these things, when you talk about them theoretically, everybody wants to hold them loosely. They want to say that it's not central to my identity as a Christian. It's just a description of who I am. But it seems to me that at least in experience, these things tend to metastasize. 
And what starts out as some small adjectival modifier grows and grows and becomes ultimately really core to your identity and starts to shape everything else. Yeah. So if you're, if you're going to identify as, you know, um, a particular brand of, of Christian, it's the brand that's important. I mean, the gay, the gay Anglican, uh, what was, what was important about that title and what they what they wanted more than anything else was to keep that gay in there. And the, and the B, the Christian part was, was necessary for the title, I suppose, but, but the, it wasn't enough, certainly not sufficient to just be called, just be called a Christian. Well, and if you say it long enough, then I mean, back to the adjectival um, usage, Nick, if you say it long enough, then you, you immediately put on the defensive, you know, an entire, entire categories of people, um, you know, guilt by association or guilt by, by skin color or whatever the case is. Um, and the convert and the conversation is, is, is changed irrevoc- irrevocably into like more of a, uh, well, from a defensive posture, like, you know, you have to begin apologizing. I'm not like this. I'm not like that. I'm not like these. I'm not like those, um, in church amongst fellow Christians in a way that, um, again, just continues to divide and tear down um, amongst people who otherwise would find great commonality, you would think, in what unites as opposed to what divides. And of course, we have history, you know, troubled, uh, sinful history and past, which we are uh, constantly aware of and, and processing. And, you know, future generations will judge us just for having blindness and hardness of hearts in various areas. And so the, the, that's a process of, of kind of historical providential sanctification that we are in, in the middle of even now. But to to deny that there has been growth, that there has been healing, that there is there is hope is is what these these conferences and these the sort of this new um, movement is is continuing to um, to deny. And that is something that, you know, you see incredible strides taken. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the deep south. I mean, Matt, you grew up in Texas. I mean, you see incredible uh, strides just in one generation, two generations of people going from, um, you know, unthinkable enmity to to brothers and sisters locked in arms, you know, for the sake of the gospel in all sorts of ways. I mean, look here at South Carolina and there's incredible work to be done and uh, hearts that still need to be softened and and histories that still need to be exposed and confessed and absolved. But but this entire movement feeds on um, the perpetuation of this uh, resentment and fundamentally, as you pointed out, from the Marxist perspective, uh, class warfare. You know, it's a power and oppression and victims and um, the privileged and the non-privileged and all the various ways that you can divide people, which is um, precisely at odds with the unifying force of the gospel. And so I think, um, you know, I think that we're we're going to have to continue to to call this out where we see it. And I think uh, Christian ministers are rightly uh, should be not only aware of this, but to reject it out of hand, that this is a, a you know, we can understand how the concept of race has been used uh, by sinful fallen people for the subjugation of um, of their fellow man uh, across the world down through time. We understand that. But we also know the power of the gospel that has raised the, the formerly dead to new life and faith through Christ and created one body with many members and these members are from all ethnicities tribes tongues and language and people and socioeconomic groups and that is a a, an offense to an unbelieving world that we actually could have uh reconciled uh philemon and onesimus you know we really could have reconciled um various quote-unquote races and ethnicities that should otherwise be at each other's throats and yet we have this audacity to claim that we are 
we're we're legitimately brothers and sisters adopted uh, heirs of, in Christ and that will um will enrage that will you know why do the nations rage the psalmist says well they in part because they mock and reject uh god and one of the defining marks of the people of god from the beginning you can see all of the christian um, history textbooks has been this inter um ethnic uh multi-tongued unifying force of the one gospel for one man one in adam or in christ those are the two men in the bible and the church is the is those that find themselves in christ as his body would you defend the existence of something like the Presbyterian church and the Baptist church and the Anglican church in light of your dismissal of something like the white church or the black church, or I assume the male church or female church. Why is, why is one of those? Okay. Yeah. I think that I was going to think about that actually with respect to categorizing churches, for instance, you could look, I think an interesting conference would be the history and the formation and the development of what's the Southern Baptist convention, for instance. I think that would be an interesting discussion just as it would be the formation development and, um, history of the Anglican church in North America. I think you could, you could very easily, and you could be unflinching in, in some of the problems, some of the history, some of the, the key players that were now proven to have been totally wrong and keep for, you know, the history book for the ACNA has yet to been written, but I'm sure, you know, Matt will be prominently um, uh, held up as one of the, <laughs> the chief opponents of all that was good and holy, but nevertheless, um, you know, you can easily see that in the Southern Baptists, to their credit, um, have done this. You know, there was that big report that came out about the history of, of um, ethnic vainglory and pride, you could call it from a biblical perspective, otherwise known as racism within the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, it was started over this question of integration and, and slavery and things. So there's a lot to be a lot to repent of, a lot to atone for across the board. Um, but I think that would be a, in a, a perfect instance of a more helpful use of these adjectives as opposed to as what we've heard, Matt, you describe the quote unquote whiteness, because that is not a, um, it's not even a racial category. It's a cultural, they're, they're, they're importing kind of ideas from, from Western Christianity, Christendom, for lack of a better word, uh, into this concept of whiteness and then having all of that be negative in even down to, you know, quote unquote, heteronormativity, as we've seen, you know, this idea that you prioritize one, you know, marriage, first of all, then the uniqueness of it and the exclusion of it to, uh, I mean, to the limiting of it to man and woman and down the line. I mean, Ibram Kendi says this explicitly in his book on anti-racism. He says that, you know, that these, white, patriarchal, Western, Anglo-Saxon, um, heteronormative practices derived from the Christendom are um, to be overthrown or to be uh, or a part of the problem, you know? And this is, um, I mean, this is where you get such of these, some of these ridiculous things like logic and mathematics and, you know, this idea that these are white concepts is just such a, it's, it's so laughably dismissible that it's unbelievable that we're still having this conversation. I mean, I remember when the first, the first conference from the Christian conference came out about three years ago. This was right when we started the podcast, I think. When then, remember that, I forget who it was, but it was something called like the Sparrow Conference or something. And some um, woman speaker up there talked about needing to repent of whiteness. Many one or whatever it was. And, yeah. and it went around like fire because we were all sitting there saying, oh, surely this has jumped the shark. Surely this is where people wake up and they say, oh, well, you know, I mean, you might even have some some decent points to make behind this, but this <laughs> now the concept has become ridiculous. And yet here we are three something plus years later 
And it's not only become part of our discourse, it's become contemptible if you don't fully embrace it. It's, it's if you don't, you know, if you just like you, I mean, look, Matt, it's case in point. This is a very um, real time example. If you reject the concept out of hand, then you are people's heads explode. And they said, well, you know, this is understandable outside of the church, because what else would you do except divide and uh, protect and oppress um, in any way you could? Uh, outside of the gospel, I mean, that's what we see the history of the world is. But if within the church, where we have this um, treasure, you know, where we have this pearl of great price, where we have the the one thing that actually reunites the broken visage of the image of God and man and woman uh, into one body, and that's being um, set aside for the sake of, um, of I, I don't even know, I don't know why, other than to. Well, I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to understand really how this is happening in the church other than, you know, unbelief, a, a form of godliness that is no godliness at all, you know, as Paul would say, because it, it, it seems just so obviously counter gospel to divide people like this. But, but there we go. We see it. Come to Baylor. <laughs> well, that's, that's why they can't have a conference entitled, you know, the history of racial thought in the Southern Baptist church that, because that's too narrow, right? Then, then you have, we're actually going to study the history of this thing, who was involved, how it played out, how, what, what the effects of the, of, of the past might be in today's church. Yeah, that's, who are the people that, who are the people that helped lead us right. and show us the way, who are the, the people we could uphold? That's right. And it's no use when you're trying to indict an entire people group, right? So when you're trying to, when you're trying to uh, induce guilt on the part of your ideological enemies, um, it doesn't do to have that kind of a conference. It does do to have the conference about racism in the white church. You know, it's that that then you could sweep in everybody. Everybody can be part of that, and and they want everyone to feel like they're part of that. It does interestingly point to uh, the power of an actual absolved person. You know, because if you have <clears throat> if you have this um, so sort of residual guilt sort of floating around in your soul, and you are um, you're ashamed like this, then you can be manipulated fairly easily. You know, this is what. Um, yeah. But if you if you have confessed, sure. you know, what is the the people in recovery say the uh, rigorous moral inventory? You know, you have come to grips and said, "Lord, you know, uh, divest me of my uh, blindness and my hardness of heart, my prejudice, you know, my sin. You know, forgive me and and you rise up to the new life of the forgiven life of faith." Well, then, you know, you're not as easily moved by some of these appeals to um, to the shame. And that's what actually got motivated uh, Liza and, and me when we started seeing p- tenderhearted Christian people who were who were getting sucked into this and started, you know, sh- shaking their hands and saying, no, I'm well, I know I'm, I need to repent of my racism and my hardness of heart. And I've been so turned a blind eye to all of the suffering and, and the wounded around me. And I'm like, you have not turned a blind eye to all of the suffering and wounded around you. I know you very well. And you. Yes, you may have sin in uh, in your heart, but you're not a you're not any of these things that they're describing you of. At least not in in a way that you need to be so so focused and so obsessed. And that's when we started pushing back on it. I mean, Liza did a lot online, but you know that's when we started talking in this podcast because we started seeing our our friends and our our parishioners and our people 
um, you know, Matt, when you started saying um, strong things on the internet, you know, when the very first um, one was because people were starting to make the step from you may be a sinner to you are now a white supremacist, an unreconstructed white supremacist, and you need to repent of that. It's like, well, wait, hold on, hold on. You know, yeah. I mean, like there was a big step from I might have some problems to I'm being equated with some of the most nefarious, you know, evil people down through the ages. And so, um, I, I have been surprised as we've watched this development over the past couple of years, but I'm grateful that it seems like there are people, not just us, but that people are beginning to see how toxic it is, uh, particularly within the church. And despite conferences like this, it seems that more and more people are becoming immune to the um, shaming, to the, to the guilt and saying, you know what, you don't know me, like our church has problems, our community has problems. But, um, you know, sort of outright un, unvarnished racism is not one of them. Now, we have a lot of socioeconomic problems. There's a lot of cultural history. There's baggage. There's sin. But, um, you know, it doesn't do any good to, to dismiss the specifics of the sin and the uniqueness of each individual congregation and community under the generalized heading of the quote-unquote white church. I mean, that doesn't do anyone who actually has real problems any good. Because I need to say, you know, I have a problem with the with the, you know, the, the Smiths and the Jones and the, these two families, whatever their color is, I have some problems and they're in our community and we need to help, you know, we need to help them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and to then sort of dismiss all of the problems as a function of, of systemic power and whiteness and historical oppression and all these things doesn't actually do anyone any good in the here and now. And I think that's where people are starting to push back and starting to simply reject these things out of hand because, you know, I, I liken it. Actually, I had a conversation with, with a pastor the other day about this with respect to the men and women discussion, because there are ways that, you know, 10 years ago before it became um, equally as bad to be a man as it was to be white. Um, you know, I was qualifying all these things and trying to be sensitive and, you know, well, this is that, and this is the other. But at this point, when just by association or by by biology, there's no escaping the um, complicity and all of the evils of the world. It's like, well, if that's the starting point for us, then then it just clarifies the conversation because there's 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 no way to win or lose with this. And so I'm just going to sort of teach and preach and talk about what it means to be a Christian man. And you know, we can agree to disagree down the line, but there doesn't need to be the qualification in the same way that there was even ten years ago. And I feel like around race, you know, this this elevation of quote-unquote whiteness has um has actually helped clarify some of the conversations because if everything's racist as we talked about then nothing really is right and so what we then can get down to is saying okay who which the community i live in where are the problems we're called to care for the um you know poor we're trying to visit the widows and the prisoners like this is what we do and so you know regardless of race ethnicity whatever the case may be here's our church this is our call and how do we serve and i think um you know, I think that more and more people, it seems like, are becoming, as I said, immune to this shame and thankfully getting down to work uh, for the kingdom and continuing to events these relationships that are mind boggling to the world where you actually have Jews and Greeks and slaves and free and men and women operating as one um, in the unity that only Christ can afford. Yeah, another thing, another aspect of this, just I was thinking back as you were talking about the about just the way the conference it looks um you imagine maybe in the 1800s two white anglo-saxon protestant theologians uh together with maybe one uh irish scholar getting together for a conference called 
the drunk Irish church, right? <laughs> so what does that say? Everyone who heard the heard the title of that conference would know. Okay, these are some these are some wasps going after the Irish. <laughs> this is, um, and they're gonna like they're gonna mischaracterize the the, the Irish people. They're gonna do all those kinds of things. Well, the same things. This is exactly what this is. Let's get two um, two guys who two scholars who are who are known for their animosity toward um toward i would say uh legitimate christian expression which they are, are, are categorizing as whiteness <laughs> um and they want to categorize it as racist and so they're going to use a conference to do it and then they're getting and they're getting a, a cheerleader on their side you know someone who's really desperate to be seen as woke and as uh, she wants to virtue signal her her, her allegiance to to the, the woke leaders and so she's there to help to help do the same thing it's very transparent the whole thing is it's ugly it's transparent and it's 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 de, de, it's designed it's designed to to divide the church in both cases whether it be drunk irish or racist whites you can absolutely find enough true examples of those <laughs> things to fill a three-day right. conference absolutely yep. you can Yep. You can tell horrible story after horrible story, all of which are true, and still let the implication stand that these stories are endemic of the entire group. Right. Representative of the whole. You just create an imaginary stereotype, create a stereotype based on a few examples. I, mean, I think we talked before about the the uh, Jesus and John Wayne, how how that's precisely the, the thing that the Keke Dume did in her book. She just took <laughs> examples of, of evangelicals behaving badly and sometimes not that badly at all. But and then said, OK, ipso facto, that's this right. is the Knit whole. it all together. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and, and through it all, you know, I think, was it C.R. Wiley said something um, that Western Western Christendom did one thing with slavery that no other, um, you know, culture had ever been able to do, and that is to eradicate it. You know, we, we actually did, you know, took a war, took a, I mean, it was painful, it was ugly, it was messy, and it was, you know, it was human. But, um, you know, particularly like if you look at the, the British witness, you know, the Wilberforce, I mean, the, 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 the slave trade was ended and, and, and even prosecuted. You know, I was listening to uh, someone interviewed when the Queen about, um, you know, I forget where it was, but anyway, she was defending um, or, or pointing out the fact that um, British naval soldiers like actually went and fought, you know, for the like destroyed the means of the slave trade, you know, back in the 18th century you know, or, or uh, early 19th century. At any rate, the positive uh, development of what we've actually seen, where we have um, even the hopes of and the means for a genuine reconciliation of otherwise different disparate people groups um, that we have sort of at least ideally represented here in America is, is a dream or is an ideal that's being undermined and threatened explicitly. Because as much as the problems, as you said, like like what Dume did with her book, um, as much of the points, places you can point to problems, you can also point to amazing uh, uh, places of, of hope and of reconciliation and of, and of development. And all of those points that don't necessarily cancel out in any way the negative realities of history, but they certainly you have a choice as to which one you're going to platform, which one you're going to to hope to hopefully emulate. You look through these conferences and this sort of this new, um, uh, well, the circuit of people speaking and writing and teaching, and it's one long litany of of ills that are, as you pointed out, Nick, easy to to point out, um, but it's in the disservice and the undermining of any 
positive hope and viewpoint for the future, you know, for the, so, I mean, like when we were younger, I mean, not when you were younger, Matt, this is like pre Oregon trail, but the rest of us, um, you know, we were, we were actually told and, many of us believed that you know the the man was someday judged by the content of his character and not by the color of his skin i mean that was like drilled into our heads and so um you know as we pointed out before that's why for a generation of us to be called racist or to be to be um accused as being racist is is almost the worst thing you could be called which rightly so because we were we were brought up with the horrors and the ills and the and the and the fear of returning once again to a blindness and a hardness of heart that would allow for chattel believing that it was the worst thing we could be that's right. Well, I mean, in a certain sense, you know, it, if you genuinely are, I mean, that's yeah. there are genuine no, races. I'm not out saying there, it's wrong. I'm saying that we were rightly told that this is a heinous thing to be avoided at any cost. That's right. And so now it's been, it's as we pointed out, it's been, it's not only unavoidable, it's the real sociological original sin, you know, that can't be, can't be absolved, can't be um, expunged. It can only be, you know, marshaled and utilized as a blunt force for, um, for uh, change you know, or power or whatever the case, whatever they're asking for on the other side of, uh, of this diagnosis. Well, say something about good news because there is, there is actual hope for redemption for sinners. If conferences like this and those like them fail in their description of what the good news might be for sinful people, what is that gospel proclamation what can we say to people whatever color they are that can be heard as good news i remember when i was relatively new christian i'd met ann the year before and i we were we were engaged and i was i had to go see her father um and he was in mali west africa and so um i went to see their family in this village, very small village in Mali. And there was a church there in the village. And I remember going to worship there the first time. The church the service lasted for three hours. I mean, I couldn't understand a single word. It was in Bambara, which is- Is that market. where you got your model for your sermon? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, well, I, I, there, there was not just one sermon. I had like two sermons, I think. And then there was like music in between, or more music and, and preaching. It's, it's, it, was, it was an amazing thing. Um, but I got a chance to preach the next time I went, the same church. And I had, so I had an opportunity to meet the, meet the pastor with- uh, Bob, my my in law, my father in law, uh, uh, translating, and you know, the, I, I sensed even that the first time when it was my first time when I was in that church, I I knew, I don't know how I knew it, but I knew this is there. They know the Jesus I know. This is this is this. These are brothers and sisters. I don't. They can't understand me. I can't understand them. But they, I I know what they're doing, and I can see and hear uh, their love for Jesus. And then I. Uh, when I got to meet that pastor, it was, I mean, we had a lot in common. We, we, we were, we were from completely different backgrounds. There's nothing about my background in Corpus Christi, Texas. It was anything like his background growing up in a, in a rural village in Mali, but we had a, we knew each other. It yeah. was, there was, there was a background. And the reason for that is because we both knew the same Lord. We both had, we, right. both had, we both had Christ. He lived in both of us and he, and, and he died for both of our sins and brought us and brought us out of death into life. And so we, I, 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 for the first time, not that I hadn't had you know cross cultural experiences as a Christian before, but that, this is a really cross cultural experience. And for the first time, I saw okay, this gospel that I believe 
and that I know can um, bring people out of darkness into light and bind them together as one in Christ, it's real. That stuff is not yeah. theoretical. That This is a real thing. And the problem with what we're seeing right now is, is the, the insertion of ideology into, into the church tears apart that like you're saying earlier uh, jay tears apart the, the one body that, that christ has created well it's unbelief it's unbelief masquerading this um sophisticated you know cultural critique i mean that's all it is because it is just a it's just frankly a faithless idea that um that ethnicities quote-unquote races cannot be reconciled to one body in christ it's just that's just unbelief because we have seen it we have lived it it's um, imperfect this side of heaven, but we see through a lens darkly a vision of the kingdom of God whenever we have those sorts of worship experiences like you had, uh, Matt. I mean, that's what we see. And you can't take that away. You can, um, you know, you can have example after example of people who have uh, perverted the grace of God into sensuality and, and as Jude would say. But um, just because people have perverted it doesn't take away from its reality and its truth. And so that's where we're going to stand. I mean, I have a similar situation. I think the very first sermon I ever gave was back at a, um, it must have been a ninth grade youth trip to Mexico, where I was being translated um, and talking and giving a reflection in front in a cinder block dwelling with a, didn't have a roof. And, you know, I was being translated and I remember being struck that this is the same God that we're worshiping. Of course, I burst into tears, uh, which is sort of a thing that happened um, fairly frequently uh, when I was uh, um, preaching. Uh, but I'll never forget that experience because it was in uh, Juarez, Mexico. And here I was, you know, far, as far away from, from where I had grown up in every conceivable way as I could imagine. And yet um, having a genuine sense of, of shared brother and sisterhood in Christ was overwhelming to me. And, you know, and ever since then, you know, supporting world missions, you know, supporting um, uh, developing uh, churches in all the different areas of the world has been not a sense of obligation or sort of a guilt um, out of a guilt of privilege. It was out of a sharing of the abundance that the Lord has given us for the sake of building his kingdom up around the world, regardless of what ethnicity or language is being spoken. And, and it's really, um, it's, it's contemptible what is happening within the church where this is embraced because we see the, the, the rancid fruit of, um, of what it produces, which is just division, discord, um, enmity and strife. And so if that's a church that you're involved in, don't be surprised that, that where that seed is being sown, that those will be the thorns and thistles that grow. But where the gospel is being sown that says there is the, no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, but all are one in Christ, and that all have, can come to, um, to unity found in him through the, his shed blood for sinners, well, then you will expect an entirely different fruit to, to, to blossom and flourish. And we have seen that. We will, we will continue to plant and, and harvest that and continue to resist this incursion of um, the enemy into the life of the church at, at every point until it's eradicated. And so maybe the rest of our lives, but at any rate, it'll be a worthwhile defense for the sake of what we've actually experienced through the unity that can only be found in Christ. Amen. And you just came from the new wineskins missionary yeah. conference. I have to imagine that that was the most multichromatic it was awesome. week of your entire life. And that's the body of Christ. That I, it was a picture of the, of the wedding feast of the lamb. I mean, exactly. it's literally people from every corner of the earth uh, who spoke, you know, I don't know how many languages were represented, but certainly they had the flags from, I think it was 62 different nations mm. were represented. And it was, I can only speak for myself, but the, the other than just re remarking on the, um, 
the, the, the diversity of the people there kind of in, intellectually in terms of actual participation, singing, praying, conference worship, it was one body, one body, yeah. one Lord, one Christ, one baptism. I mean, that's what it was. And so you um, can preach against that. You can, you can scold, say it's not really true, but for those of us who have lived it, who live in it and who celebrate and revel in the mercy of God to unite that which the world divides, then you can't, it can't be shaken, can't be taken away. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. Uh, we'd love to keep the conversation going with you. You can be in touch with us, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,